Hey everyone, it's Dan and it's time for another Beyond the Paywall episode of our Patreon bonus podcast, Our Son Pete. The only podcast that I'm aware of dedicated to British mutant spy master and my son, Peter Winston Wisdom. Uh, coming at you this time, we're talking about Excalibur 100 with special guest Chris Hassan from AIPT's X-Men Monday column. You may know Excalibur 100 as the one that introduced the Xavier Protocols, uh, which told everybody how to kill the X-Men if they ever get out of hand. We have a lot of fun talking about that. And oh yeah, Pete's there too. Please enjoy. Uh, and if you like what you hear, consider subscribing to the WMQ&A Patreon. I cannot stress enough, for three bucks a month, you get to listen to the craziness that is our son, Pete, every month. We've had some great episodes with great guests. We've had Connor Goldsmith from Cerebro. We've had the folks from Comic Book Couples Counseling. We've had uh, comic writer Daniel Kibblesmith, uh, all talking about my boy, my, my sad British lad, uh, doing his thing with his hot knives. It's a lot of fun every month. Get on it. Patreon.com. WMQ Comics. Now here's me and Chris. Hello and welcome to Our Son Pete, a monthly Patreon-exclusive WMQ&A bonus podcast where I, Dan Grote, read through every appearance of British mutant spymaster Peter Winston Wisdom. This month we're covering Excalibur Volume 1, Number 100, a.k.a. the one where we learn how to kill every X-Man. And I'm joined by someone who knows how to kill every X-Fan. He's the writer of AIPT's X-Men Monday feature and effectively lives in Marvel Senior Editor Jordan D. White's inbox. It's Chris Hassan. Chris, what up? How are you? What up? What up? How you doing? Thanks for having me. I thought you were going to say I live in Jordan's like basement. I was like, that's creepy. <laughs> but, no, instead you're haunting him in cyberspace. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I do certainly kill x-fans dreams on a weekly basis so that's good yeah <laughs> is, that, is that why i was chosen for this one <laughs> uh someone's got to do it that's 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 all i know chris what other comics journalist would you be able to unlock the secret to killing if you stepped into the xavier protocols chamber and what two other comics journalists would have to enter the room with you okay so I'm glad I reread this issue because I understand that reference completely. <laughs> um, so, okay, so I am going in with two comics journalists, yes. and then we're on, we're seeing the comics journalism files, yes. and it's explaining that this is how you kill this other comics journalist. Yes, this is. <laughs> I'm glad this is an exclusive Patreon episode. Let's <laughs> break the comics journalism internet in two. Um, well, I'm going to go with uh, our buddies. Uh, so I'm going in the room with Zach Jenkins. Okay. Adam Reck from Battle Okay. Of All right, Zach and Adam. <laughs> yeah, we're going in there. And then uh, we we unlock the database, which I guess, did Chris Aaron build the database? <laughs> he's Pro wanted, pro probably. He's got plans to kill all the journalists. And then uh, let's say uh, we'll go with... Um, We'll bring it. I'll bring it back to my neck of the woods. So AAPT. So it's how to kill Dave Brooke and stop him from reviewing four billion comics a week. <laughs> I listen. This makes sense because the whole idea of the Xavier Protocols is that someone close to you has been has been uh, compromised, and you That's you true. have to 
put them out of their misery. So, uh, you know, uh, that's and, and true. True. The Xavier files, uh, Xavier files, Xavier <laughs> that's, that's exactly, uh, <laughs> true to it. Um, it would be a very bizarre explanation on how to stop them. So it'd be like, you know, to, to stop Dave from reviewing comics, you must cut off the comics <laughs> or something. And it's like, Oh, <laughs> and Jean Grey will be there crying for some reason, but it's like, it's not that bad. <laughs> that's just a tuesday in the 90s yeah <laughs> i do i do find i mean i'm probably getting ahead of myself but we'll, we'll talk about it we'll talk about it okay yeah. all right well before <laughs> before we get too far ahead well let's 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 start uh by catching folks up on what happened the last time uh we got together here so previously in excalibur 99 the team figures out how to bring down black air and the london hellfire club by the book but before they can do that the red queen aka Margali zardos unleashes the demon under london so with that out of the way let's talk about excalibur number 100 london's burning i just i opened my my physical copy i have the physical copy. and on the the inside cover there's an ad for a movie yes the frighteners it was dead yet at the top and i think that's it's fitting with this issue <laughs> <laughs> and it's across <sighs> this dead doug lockhead yes yeah that, that that's true yeah a lot of death okay all right, so we are looking at Excalibur number 100, London's Burning, cover date August 1996, written by Warren Ellis, drawn by <gasps> Casey Jones, Randy Green, and Rob Haynes, inked by Tom Simmons, Jason Martin, Rick Ketchum, and Haynes, lettered by Ariane Lynchwick and Jim Hostin with enhancement by Malibu, lettered by Richard Starkings and Comic Crafts, and edited by Suzanne Gaffney with a cover by Carlos Pacheco and Bob Wyatchek. Seeing you mentioned 1996, I'm looking at the deer, and I'm thinking back. So I was in sixth grade when this came uh -huh. out. Okay, and okay. Seeing, seeing Malibu brings me right back to like sixth grade, seventh grade, that kind of time when I was like exiles with Juggernaut. This is the future of comics. <laughs> <laughs> More comics that I can't remember what happened in them, but I, it was Juggernaut, Sienna Blaze, right? Yep. Reaper, Reaper from the Mutant Liberation. That was it. Those are like the Marvel characters. They said you can have these. Yeah. <laughs> And then, and then three Malibu characters whom I <laughs> can't even remember their names. And then the Phoenix was coming. I remember that was a big deal too. Phoenix. Yeah. What what a time to be alive. <laughs> when when is that podcast? I'll go on that one. <laughs> I no, I I don't know. That's somebody. That's somebody else's uh, quest. All right. So London Ex is exiles, but not that exiles. <laughs> <laughs> not the one anyone likes. Yeah. Exactly. So because it's the 100th issue, we get a wraparound cover and the whole team is 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 there and they're all upside down, charging into flames uh, while Margali laughs at them from the top right corner. Uh, Wisdom is actually drawn the largest uh, in the foreground, but he's on the back page. Uh, is this, this is Carlos art, right? This is Carlos Pacheco, the late great Carlos Pacheco. Yep, absolutely. I, I, I'll tell you, when I looked at this, I was like, oh, yes, these costumes. I remember when these came out, I thought these were the coolest redesigns. Yeah. Now I look at them and I'm like the the Colossus shoulders. Like I don't know what that's about. It's kind of like <laughs> the forked shoulders. But at the time, I thought it was awesome. That okay. So the Colossus with sort of the jaggedy shoulders. Yeah. That wasn't uh, Pacheco. That was Joe Mad. When oh, really? uh, Colossus came back to Earth in Uncanny three twenty five, I think he had those. Okay. All right. Yeah. But Nightcrawler's sort of red flappy fabric uh, sash cloak thingy. That was Pacheco, and then uh, Megan's 
sort of like yellow gauntlets outfit is yeah. also Pacheco. Those were his I, two big fashion contributions. Was really cool too, the Megan one. And I, yeah, Nightcrawler's got the earring, the goatee, mm-hmm. and I. He had an action figure, and Colossus had an action figure in that costume, and I think that was it. Yeah, because I didn't make a Kitty action figure. Kitty was allowed to have an action figure for some reason. <laughs> Those, that that was those not that, those were those nineties rules, man. You got to give cruel and uh, Gideon action figures before <laughs> you get to the the girls. It was funny. I was actually uh, and I'm really tangent tangenting here, but I was I picked up some X Men Adventures back issues uh, on a whim. Cool. And I was reading those. Uh, I wouldn't say it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I was reading the letter page though, and I was like, oh wow, like they were brutally honest back in the days in the letter pages. Because like one person asked, like, how do I get like a Jean Grey figure and a this figure? And the editor was like, hey, so and so, like, apart in the toy biz, like women figures don't sell, so that's why they don't make it. And I was like, wow. Like, I feel like today they wouldn't have just said that straight up, but that, that's like that's why they did it. So. <laughs> Said the quiet part out loud. <laughs> yeah, that's X Men Adventures, X Mail. Uh, that's why all these people in their forties are buying Marvel Legends toys now. <laughs> all right. All right. So, uh, still, on, still on the cover. Pete and Kitty are holding hands, uh, but their hands are obscured by the Onslaught Impact One logo in the mm-hmm. lower left corner of the cover, which is appropriate for what Onslaught was doing to books during the summer of nineteen ninety six. Uh, this comic being no exception. So Onslaught and Beyond update. So that meant Onslaught hadn't begun at this time. It was just like, heads up, this is coming. No, we were we were mid-Onslaught at this point. The slot had begun. <laughs> the, but this was, uh, the end the Beyond part at the back is uh, basically just a preview of Heroes Reborn. So them being able to say, hey, we got, we got Rob and uh, Jim back. And uh, we're not going to let you know that they did a bad job. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah so okay i'm looking so onslaught is here it says no one is safe yes then you turn the page and you get a picture of jim lee and then rob so yes. this is interesting because i feel like today oh and then spider-man a&w root beer packs in the back <laughs> uh, yeah you can get a, a cheap plastic mug to send away <laughs> i wonder if it's still good i guess i get it i feel like um Today, people like me complain that, like, oh, they've spoiled this event and the event's not even over yet. But looking at this, the same thing was happening back then. So we there, there was still later. a three-month pre-order cycle, you know? <laughs> <laughs> there was still Previews Magazine. Yeah. <laughs> so, quick summary for the issue. Excalibur takes down Black Air, the London Hellfire Club, the Demon Under London, and Mountjoy, while a team of X-Men arrive on Muir Island to unlock dot, 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 the Xavier Protocols which have nothing to do with Excalibur and everything to do with Onslaught because, again, it is summer 1996. So, Chris, I'll, I'll, I'll turn to you. What are, you know, what are, what are, what are your sort of opening thoughts? What did you want to, what were you excited to talk about after having reread this issue for the first time in presumably years? Well, yeah, so I will say that I know this cover. I remember this cover, but I have not, I probably read this once in 1996 and then never looked at it again. So I, pulled it out of my comic box the first thing is i never i would wasn't there was like a, a london hellfire club introduced was that before did that happen already or is that after yes this? uh this is so this is the end of like a five issue story the london hellfire okay. club were first introduced well all right i guess we didn't the concept was introduced in 96 i don't think we saw them in person until 97 
Okay. <laughs> and, and then with, uh, half of them never got names. Okay. I do remember Mountjoy. It was Mountjoy in another miniseries. Mountjoy was created by Carlos Pacheco and first appeared in the Bishop miniseries, That's the right. first Bishop miniseries. Yeah. yeah. So, so basically that was a thing where Carlos gets assigned to Excalibur. Warren says, Oh, mate, what do you want to draw? And Carlos is like, well, I can bring my OC in. And then he only drew two issues of the story and Casey Jones drew the rest. <laughs> Got it. All right. Yeah. So couple thoughts I had yeah. one I had no I mean knowing Margali Sardis now and I mean mm -hmm. she's still in the books I had no idea that was her on the cover like I probably when I read this I, I read like many people like all the uncanny stuff out of order just as I could find it so I probably mm -hmm. read this comic I had no idea who Margali was but I completely forgot that this was her on the cover so that was the first revelation I mean so that's I not how she normally looks but also yeah. like personally I, I mean I've been reading for decades I couldn't you know, draw Margali blindfolded if you yeah. ask me to. I think she has horns sometimes. I don't know. She's got horns right now. And yeah, when she was like, she created this new body for herself. I'm like, oh yeah, that's that tracks. Like, that's what she's doing still. So The uh, funny thing is when Nightcrawler sees her for the first time, he recognizes her. I'm like, eh, that, that doesn't look like the same woman who raised you in a circus and, and made you fall in love with your sister. <laughs> and then, yeah, Amanda Septon's in here too. I noticed that. Yeah. Um, I think so. Those are my first my first uh, thought there. Second, the costumes. I was like, oh, yes, I remember these cool costumes. Third thought was there's this weird uh, ongoing Lockjaw. That's his name? Lockjaw? Lockheed. Lockjaw's <laughs> the dog. Yeah, Lockheed and Kitty and Pete. There's like banter. And she was like, this guy's a mean man. Don't listen to him. And I was like. Oh, were they still? They didn't like each other at this point. And then I turned the page, and they're kissing. I was like, "Oh wait, no, this was this is just this is just playful banter." They're in love. Yeah, they've been dating for ten issues at this point. Okay, <laughs> and then I thought, "Oh, Colossus is there too. This is drama. This is this is that's going to be tough for Colossus, even though uh, I think he came back and like beat up Pete, right? Like right? Uh, yes, beat the shit out of him. Yes. <laughs> All right, so I don't feel bad for him. Um, <laughs> then I saw Pete Wisdom and the way they draw his hot knives, uh, and I thought of you, and I was like, okay. That's that's cool. That looks cool. That, I get it. I get why he likes him. <laughs> and then final. Oh, then the third thought, Moira. Moira. I was like, oh, uh, let's see how close this uh, tracks with Hickman, and it doesn't at all. So I no, like, <laughs> no, it, it doesn't. This is during the period when she has the legacy virus too, and like that. That's fun. Sort of reading her bemoaning being the only human with the legacy virus, and like when, especially when there's nobody else in the room. I'm like, Moira, you can drop the act. <laughs> Yeah, so it's like for a second I slid into uh, those X fans I can't stand who are like, this doesn't track with what was in the comics before Hickman even thought about doing X Men twenty years ago. So, uh, that but, I mean, like, like in a way, thinking about it, like, so by this point, you know, Charles and Moira and and Eric, they're all in on whatever you know their their scheme is theoretically yeah. according to this retcon. Of course, Charles would trust Moira enough. To, mm -hmm. to give her all the kill codes. And of course, that would be a very stupid, stupid thing to do. <laughs> um, I did, yeah, I did think it's funny that, like, I think she mentions, like, Charles built, like, a secret bunker or something down underneath the here. I'm like, I'm like how, I thought, how many times are these people, like, Charles, Eric, Xavier, like, they, the life they have, where they're all like, hold on, I have to go build this secret bunker here, and hold on, I need to go build this new place. So it's like this constant. It's very, it's very taxing the relationship where it's constantly asking them for favors to build secrets. They're uh, they're really like, when do when do we get 
these sort of like extreme home makeover scenes with these guys <laughs> where you, you know how on those shows they always have to plan the one special room like mm-hmm. like when do we get that scene like they're both wearing like white hard hats uh, maybe all three of them Moira's there too but hers is black for some reason oh shrug and and you know they're like okay so we got to plan this secret chamber with all the kill codes uh what do you want to see in there well it needs a couch okay we'll put a couch in there uh the x-men's entrance which i was very much looking forward to when i how they were introduced is a little ridiculous i don't know what you thought about this but like several points in this comic i'm like this writing isn't very good <laughs> but it's like yeah they appear and the it the uh the voice over here is archangel and cannibal take to the air almost defensively psylocke sister to brian braddock stands trigger ready her anger loaded in her eyes and fists Phoenix and Cyclops move on battle nerves, edgy and heartbroken. All this obvious to Moira, Nobel Prize winning geneticist and friend to the X-Men. Very dramatic entrance. It, it is. I mean, it, it's, it's, a, it's a Marvel comic. You got to have a little bit of that purple prose. <laughs> got some action there. But I mean, did you, is, is that what you think when you see your friends? You know, when, when they come in the room, you're like, oh they're striking a defensive pose <laughs> that one well, looks i mean the idea is to convey that they're on edge because you know of onslaught yep and then we yeah, have which is the whole reason they're guest appearing in this comic the thing that stands out to me or stood out to me in in rereading this and seeing this picture is that they left off psylocke's crimson dawn face tattoo mm. yeah yeah it's true so for some reason that was the only thing that's the, <laughs> or like the main thing that stuck out to me um, the final thing I'll say before we jump into it is that I think it's very funny that when Scott, Gene, and Moira go down to the room to see the secrets, Warren just like walks in casually. <laughs> it's like, sorry to interrupt, because like she was like specifically like, Scott, Gene, you come with me, the rest of you stay. And then he just wanders and like, hey guys, what's up? And then it's like, oh shit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> wanders into this, by the way, secret underground chamber, which means somebody <laughs> left the door to the stairs open. <laughs> um <laughs> uh, but those are my preliminary thoughts what what about you what 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 are your thoughts okay so uh i've got i've got plenty here uh <laughs> which we'll, we'll get into and uh so basically we'll we'll start we'll start at the beginning so the the, the comic foregoes an opening splash in favor of a recap page which you don't see a lot of around this time and i like because you have to remind the readers about the four issues of plot with far too many characters uh, that came before this to get them ready. Uh, it's also, I like the way that uh, it's framed by Doug Locke's head and the wires are sort of running out of it and snaking along the edges of the page. It's, uh, I, I compared it in my notes to taking one of those Marvel 25th anniversary covers with the headshots and turning it into a body horror story. That's interesting. Yeah, and I like that. You should pitch that. You should be like, how about a month of just <laughs> Doug Locke's head? <laughs> cross everybody there you go that, w- that would have been good for uh the iron man 2020 the uh crossover subject of that one disney plus documentary <laughs> about how dan slot can't make deadline <laughs> uh, so uh as the story opens we watch london burn the demon under london's growing more powerful from the chaos above and uh, from the midnight runner pete wisdom watches his city burn and he looks genuinely upset he looks down and he says, you know, my God, what have you scabs done to my city? Mm-hmm. Pete's whole deal now uh, in the modern era is that he doesn't want to live on Krakoa. He mm-hmm. loves his country very much. He's defended it well. 
done horrible things in its name. And so it, it breaks his heart to see what is happening here on this panel. You know, we, we've, we've seen an alternate earth where wisdom is prime minister in uh, Teeny Howard and Marcus Toe's Excalibur. You know, I, I'd love to see one repeat as a Captain Britain. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't fit with what's happening right now, obviously. But, you know, maybe someday down the line. He can't. He can't, though, right? Because it has to be the, the prime Captain Britain makes the duplicates across the multiverse, right? Is that how that works? Because everyone's a that bit probably sick. is how it works now. <laughs> Can you call Con- Connor Goldsmith? Well, <laughs> you don't even know. <laughs> uh, three hours later. Um, <laughs> so, as, as the team collects its thoughts before reading the Black Air Building, we revisit the uh, Pete and Lockheed Looney Tunes battle from issues 96 and 97. Uh, you know, Pete tells Kitty that uh, her pet that she's had for 13 years or so of publishing time can talk. Uh, and of course, she doesn't believe him. And it's this it's it's, it's really a weird moment of cutting the tension <laughs> compared to the rest of the, the tone of this issue. But it does pay off uh, down the line. So was he when I saw that, I was like, uh-huh. I feel like he's he's talking the modern comics, but. Does he talk? Was this the first time he talked? Was this, this was a, the first time he, else, like... he did not talk before this. The first time he talked was in issue 96. So in 96 and 97, at the start of his arc, there were these two, Pete was barely in the comics. There were these two sort of interlude half pages where Pete is chasing Lockheed around Muir Island and Lockheed is just burning his clothes and his cigarettes. And it, it just gets really like cartoony. Uh, is 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 the word for it and they basically did it to pay off a scene that's going to come later mm-hmm. but that's yeah it's funny i i loved it when i was 16 years old reading it for the first time <laughs> because you know 16 of course i love cartoons but like now i'm just like this is this is dumb. This is already a very busy storyline. What? Why are we doing this? And he's got the little cartoon hearts coming out of his head. Yeah, he does. He does have cartoon hearts. Like he looks like a Looney Tunes character. <laughs> That's probably Warren Ellis is like. All right, I'll put in this onslaught stuff, but I need to make some Looney Tunes jokes. I'm like, all right, okay. But is that a negotiation though? Because it's like. It's... <laughs> If they if they were making him take X Men and he was like, I don't know, putting his shit somewhere else. Although he did get a page of Uncanny, I don't know. Whatever, it does not matter. Truly, yeah, it, do, it, it does. doesn't matter. matter. <laughs> uh, talkie time ends when Pete spots his former company rival Scratch fleeing the Black Air Building. Eyes glowing red, he demands to be let down from the plane to chase down Scratch, believing that he'll tell him where Douglock is if he beats it out of him. Spoiler alert, the team finds Douglock without him. Uh, tells Kitty to stay close to Colossus so he can take the damage and to stay close to Kurt so that he, she can teleport with him to safety. Uh, this is about the closest they get to saying, I love you in this issue, and you can tell they're both thinking about it. Wisdom then jumps out of the plane and uses his hot knives to slow his descent to the ground. Does that work? Yeah. Is now that again, that should happen and should work? <laughs> no. This is <laughs> that is nonsense. His hot knives aren't fucking Stark Tech repulsor rays. <laughs> also, what what is to stop him from just torching his pants in the process of doing this? You know, I mean, if any, if anything, give the man a jetpack. 
Well, it says a he. It's a ring of hot knives, little slivers of the sun beneath him, and is buoyed down by thermal updrafts. So, slivers of the sun. Is he? Is this like a solar powered thing? Is he like Cyclops? Does he absorb the sun's energy? I don't think. Based on this use of his power, I do not think Warren has thought that deeply <laughs> about where it comes from. I don't think they come from a, a, a hot knife dimension that has <laughs> ten little portals in his fingertips. <laughs> but they could. Also, London, you know, it's like, it's foggy. It's not sunny. So if he was solar powered, maybe maybe he would never reach his full potential until he leaves England. This is. I'm going to write this book. I'm going to write <laughs> Yeah, there, there you go. Yeah, we got to put in the man hours to study the science of of hot knives. You know, and the, the, but the thing I was thinking was like, give him a jetpack because then if he has a jetpack, then he looks like Robbie Williams in the Millennium video. Mm. And we're we're a couple of years out from Robbie Williams going solo, but Robbie Williams is definitely the Pete Wisdom of late nineties British pop music. <laughs> what do you think? So he's always had like the same outfit, right? Throughout publication history he just wears like he wears off the rack suits he goes to the men's warehouse and he's like oh i oh i want a government salary give me the cheapest thing you got mate <laughs> do you think does he have just multiple white shirts is it the same white shirt oh he has a homer simpson closet yeah yeah has he it would be good i mean you've read all these issues has he ever worn a different color shirt or is it always white i this is this is the standard uniform and and part of it is you know these are superhero comics artists they are used to drawing superheroes who wear the same outfit of unstable molecules mm-hmm. every day. They don't, they're not thinking about, well, let's see what's in their closet. I mean, sometimes they draw them in casual wear. And in mm-hmm. fact, both Casey Jones and Carlos Pacheco were good at drawing them in casual wear in the few scenes that they got to. But I don't think Pete, you know, the only time I can distinctly remember Pete wearing something other than that outfit, the black tie, black pants, white shirt, sport coat maybe a trench coat over top of it it was issue 88 yeah 88 larry stroman draws him just in his boxers (laughs) like first thing in the morning his hair's a mess he's drinking terrible coffee and he and he might have the sport coat just tied around his waist Mm. interesting yeah it was was definitely a choice but the great larry stroman is allowed to make those choices of course, if anyone is. What do you think of uh, the kitty costume at this point with the popped collar and the, the shoulder pads there? I I forget when we transition, transitioned Kitty from the, the puffy-sleeved Shadow Cat outfit to basically the, the yellow, blue, and gold. I think it was right before... Train, uh, training outfit. Age of Apocalypse, probably. Like around before they got frozen with all the Emperor Crystal stuff. Probably, probably. Sometime when like Lobdell was mucking around uh, in the book, just basically making it another X-Men book uh, and, and sapping all the flavor out of it. I'm, I'm good with it. I mean, at this point, well, not at this point. At this point, she dresses like a pirate. But, uh, I mean, she stayed in that costume for a long time. I, remember know, you- I, I, I do think we wore, we, we got past the joke of her having terrible taste in clothes. So, I, you know, it's not the most imaginative thing, but it gets the job done, especially in a teen book, I guess. Yeah. I remember growing up, I thought, I never thought she was like a teenager or anything. I thought, oh, she's an ex-woman. And uh, that's why it's funny, like, over the years, it's so like, no, 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 she's young. She's young. 
<laughs> but she's very young. We try not to sexualize her. <laughs> she looks very mature in this. And then I'm realizing too that there's the whole can of worms. I don't want to get into Pete Wisdom's age and her age, and they're probably that's why she looks older too. So, all right, let's move on. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> so at this point, Kurt, Kurt gives the team a uh, a rallying speech that. Uh, he's given a couple of these in recent issues, but this is the one that I think is the most fitting with the fuzzy blue elf that we know and love. Basically, he says, you're all my friends, even fucking wisdom. I love you. Let's get the job done, but be safe. We're not soldiers. We're just people doing the best we can. I like this one. He's kind of like, he was very angry in previous ones to the Mm -hmm. point where he's basically just like, let's be X-Force. Let's do X-Force things. Just kick fucking ass. (laughs) But uh, yeah, no, this one, this one was good. So when, we go did, uh, when did Wolfsbane join too? I was like ninety issue ninety. Okay, I was like, yeah. oh yeah, she was in the team too at that point. Yes, she she got one good issue in the last ten, and <laughs> uh, otherwise she just sort of been hanging around. <laughs> All, right. All right. So we go to Muir Island. Moira's there, kind of hanging out, having a bad feeling about this, uh, and then Amanda Sefton teleports in, looking beat up, and basically just gives a quick info dump about what Margali Zardos has been up to since the Soul Sword trilogy. And apparently, he basically used the Soul Sword, uh, you know, Kitty's old Soul Sword, which was previously Eliana's old Soul Sword, to kill every magician ahead of her on something called the Winding Way, which is basically like the Choose Your Fighter Tower from Mortal Kombat, but for sorcerers, I guess. And uh, conjures a hot new body for herself that no one is supposed to recognize. I didn't. Uh, I certainly didn't as a, as a young yeah, kid. Yeah, like a, like a real housewife of Bavaria and <laughs> uh, decides she's going to take control of this demon under London. And uh, there's a caption box that reminds the reader, helpfully, that Amanda shares an adoptive mother with her lover, uh, mm-hmm. Kurt Wagner. Very important. You know, your mileage can vary on on, on that one. <laughs> and, then, and then we get to the scene of the X-Men showing up that we've already talked yeah, about. Are. Yep, yeah. we now resume. Where yeah, we left off. <laughs> this very cool onslaught picture at the top. In case you forgot, because uh, this is an onslaught update. Uh, it is. But there he is, looking very menacing. Let me ask you a question. So, when you were a young Dan, yes. uh, and you saw the first glimpse of of onslaught, what did you think? What did you think this is all about? Before it started, when they started teasing it. Okay, so if we're talking about when the juggernaut got punched into New Jersey, mm-hmm. uh, in, like the very first mention of Onslaught, I thought that was cool. I enjoyed the mystery of it. I think there were elements of Onslaught that worked. So, for example, there is, in one of the issues of Uncanny, mm-hmm. a scene where like Onslaught reveals that he's got Xavier and uh, I think Franklin Richards mm-hmm. sort of inside him raising and uh it's enough to piss off cyclops and there's just a panel of like half of his face with his like teeth gritted bearing fangs and uh this is joe mad art he said it just says take him and at that point he's not just commanding the x-men he's commanding the x-men and the avengers and whoever else was around at that moment i thought that was cool as shit as a big cyclops head the story yeah. does not hold together at all and i actually think around this time was when i started to phase out collecting some of the ancillary x titles like i I 
I think I was done with like X Man and X Force and uh, Factor. I hung on to for a little bit longer, but this this was the beginning of like the end of me reading every X title. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know when that happened for me. It was because I definitely like again going back to sixth grade. It was like once I got into X Men, it was like okay, I'm buying fifty books a month because they all have an X on it. <laughs> and then I just remember like reading them in bed. And I can't tell you like what the hell was going on in any of them. It's just like <laughs> the assembly line, like read X Force done, Excalibur, X Men, Cable. <laughs> um, and eventually, yeah, I did like start probably when I got to like high school. I want to say I think two two things happened, and this is not a Chris's life podcast, so I don't know if people care, but you're out of that talk. No one ever asked me this question. <laughs> so uh, I do remember like high school, like it was harder to find comic shops at a certain point. Like I feel like a lot of the shops I'd go to, I don't know if you had this experience, but when I was a kid, it's like there was a comic shop and then it would shut down or they'd move or it's like, okay, then that guy started another comic shop. And like that happened every couple of years where I lived. Mm -hmm. um, so, and then eventually like, they were all gone. <laughs> and then it's like, okay, I can only now get comics when I go to the mall far away that has a comic store with my family on a weekend. And it's like, that's when you get your comics. I tried the subscription thing for a while that was really shitty i found like the marvels mm. i would sometimes get them they wouldn't come they all come in one batch very weird looking back on that but uh i think it just you just naturally drop off and then also you're in high school now so it's like i care less about comics as i'm growing up and learning about the world um but i would say i didn't get back into full x-men until the krakoa x-men era because i like even when like mr and mrs x and cable and like that that what was it the relaunch regenesis or not regen i don't know Re resurrect scion yeah, yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah that was like there's Iceman. like i would read some of in trades i've never read any of weapon x but like so like it was still felt like yeah it's not not all necessary and then i got into everything and like since then i've still been on that path so it is it is interesting to hear you mention that like there, i feel like when we're younger we kind of drop off and then there's there's got to be a reason to bring us back in yeah no, I, I think my trajectory mirrors yours a lot. Although, I mean, even now I'm starting to like peel back even on, yeah, on like the modern X books. So <laughs> there's a the other other problem is when you're an old guy like us is there's no room for comics. Also that. <laughs> and you have to make those hard choices. <laughs> do I read this in the trade or do I read it now? Yeah. Digitally. <laughs> um yeah, onslaught though, I I think I first saw it on Mar Marvel Vision. Did you read that? that magazine no okay i did okay <laughs> and i think i don't know like that was they had a cover and it was probably this cover from the back of this issue with like that that pose and that was like the first like whoa that's onsa and i was like that's magneto <laughs> and uh so that was interesting um i do remember the biggest fear i had was when jean gray had the onslaught across her head and i yeah. really thought is that her look now? She just has that like bird in her head. And the Everyone's next getting face tattoos. Yeah. <laughs> the next thing she was gone. I was like, wait, what happened though? I thought that was burned in, but it was psychically burned in. Yes. It's a psychic tattoo. Yep. Always remember that, kids. If yeah. if someone brands you with psychic energy, it's not gonna stick. Or the Crimson Dawn, apparently, because that, yeah. that that went away. <laughs> Only an Excalibur. Yeah. Uh, All right. So the X-Men are here. Yeah, uh, before we get to actually peek into Charles Xavier's uh, Chamber of Secrets, fuck you, J.K. Rowling, uh, we go back to London where the Hellfire Club is unraveling. Uh, Emma Steed, the Black Queen, has killed the Black King, who never got a name. 
Brian shows up wearing his Captain Britain costume, complete with force field, uh, to see what's going on and also to learn that the club's scribe is Mountjoy, the uh, Bishop miniseries villain. When did he get this new? I saw this costume. I was like, oh, yeah, this is his new look with the weird buttons on his chest. Yeah. So, and I was like, is he going to mention it? Is this the first issue? And he is like, I've been playing with my costume. Is this the first appearance or did it come? This is, this is the, he teased it in the previous issue. We saw the helmet in okay. his purse, but this is the first time we've actually seen him in the, in the full costume. What do you think? What do you think of it? The little fingerless gloves? <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, it looks like a Captain Britain costume. It's a little bit like there's more blue to it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's angry, but it's, it's in line with the rest of the team. You know, like, it's, it's, all... not, he hasn't been in the costume in like 30 some issues. Hmm. So for him to be wearing this again is a big deal. Okay, so I don't we remember. We can all put the stupid Britannic doing... shit behind us. Oh, so Britannic was he didn't have a mask, right? No, he had a big blonde mullet uh, and uh, no mask and just a red body stocking, basically. Okay, <laughs> I there is a blind spot for me because I I haven't. It was the Fatal Attractions issue. I read that, and then after that, some stuff happened, and I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and, and listen, there was no reason. There was no reason to, to read other than like when it was. So, like for me, I think it was like seventy one. The Fatal Attractions issue seventy five because it was a big, you know, divisible by five thing, and then uh, uh, eighty two, which was the Phalanx Covenant issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But, okay. Uh, yeah. So. Um. Oh yeah. So Steve, Steve threatens to use her mutant ability of psionic skin, skinning or whatever on Brian. And Mountjoy just wants to eat, eat him. Uh, you know, Brian lets him chat for a few seconds and then he decides that this is all very stupid. He tosses Steve aside and then moves to deal with Mountjoy, who threatens Brian with guns filled with the flesh-eating mutant skin bullets from the Genosha storyline in issues 86 and 87. Uh, Mountjoy explains that the London Hellfire Club exported those bullets to Genosha, mm-hmm. which is weird because they were brought to Genosha to investigate the bullets in the first place by Black Air, who's been working with the London Hellfire Club this entire time. Mm-hmm. Either way, Mountjoy mountsplains that by taking control of Britain's elite, he could use that power to topple any nation and use its population for his food. Uh, but before he gets away, Brian catches him on the streets and basically rams his fist into him full speed and then says, don't bleed so loud, you're giving me a headache, which is one of several great action movie lines in this comic that I very <laughs> much appreciated. Um, but on the whole, Nanjoy did not need to be in this story. Mm-hmm. You know, Between Black Air and the London Hellfire Club and the Demon Under London, it was busy enough. You know, yeah. if it was a matter, uh, you know, even, even if it was Ellis asking Pacheco what he wanted to draw and Pacheco said he wanted to draw this because he created the character. Pacheco was only around for two issues of this five issue arc before he gets pulled to Fantastic Four. So it's just this extra plot thread that mostly gets dumped on Casey Jones, the mm-hmm. true regular penciler of Excalibur during this era, uh, as we've come to see. You know, yeah. you could still get Brian into the London Hellfire Club by having Shinobi Shaw say, um, I, I, I think the London branch is up to something. Be a deer and investigate for me. Hmm. And that's it. That's all you need. I'll be honest. Like, what as, as I was reading this, I was like, okay, let's get back to the Xavier protocols. Like, I had zero interest in this. This, this one. <laughs> and and, that, and that's fair. Listen, for your average X Men reader, you're not invested in Excalibur. 
Yeah, no, yeah. I read, and, and that's why that's why they front loaded it with X Men characters <laughs> to get somebody to read. I'm like, all right, well, if you put Colossus and Wolfsbane there, maybe we get more people. I'm reading Excalibur 100 for the X Men appearance. <laughs> that mm-hmm. is it. <laughs> that, no, that is totally fair. So, meanwhile, the team reaches the Black Air building and they find all the agents inside attacking each other, being driven mad by the demon under London. Uh, they clock the team and immediately stop killing each other to focus on the intruders. Uh, Colossus draws their fire so Kirk, Kitty, and Megan can keep moving. And this sort of begins a series of team members peeling off one by one to attend to the different threats within the building. Uh, Megan stays behind to use her elemental nonsense powers to hold off some techno brood. Kurt stops to fight the Red King uh, of the Hellfire Club, who also does not have a name uh, because he can't resist a good swashbuckle. And uh, that's actually that's another that's another that's where we get another one of my favorite lines. So uh, when they're when they're squaring off, uh, Kurt says, "Love you, love makes you want to stab people. That isn't love. That's brain damage." Yeah, that was good. I like that. That's another good one. Yeah, uh, that's uh, uh, it, it is funny because I was I know I've heard a lot about um, listening to Cerebro and how you know after the Alan Davis period, like it just became like another '90s X Men book. And I was when I was reading this, I was trying to think about like like is this fun? Like is does this have some like there's Lock Lockheed stuff, and then yeah, there's some good lines of Nightcrawler there. So I'm like okay at times, and then other times it is this generic X Men story. Uh, from the 90s so points points to kurt there i enjoyed that yeah no absolutely uh so all right back on your uh moira leads scott and gene to again the secret you know layer with all the kill codes moira unlocks the room with a handprint and a computer scans her scott and gene's brain wise to unlock xavier protocol zero 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 uh which really should be zzz because we're in england but or no excuse me on an island off the coast of scotland uh, which reveals blueprints for anti-psionic armor that can be used to take out Charles Xavier in the event he is compromised. Did they ever use this in Onslaught? I don't remember. I don't think they do. <laughs> there was, I I'm not rereading Onslaught. <laughs> so basically, this is all pointless. <laughs> it could be. I, I no. I have a. I want to say that the armor comes in handy, but I, I just you I just don't remember. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to because that's how stories are supposed to work. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. But also, this is X-Men comics in 1996 with Bob Harris and Scott Lobdell making shit up as they go along. Mm-hmm. So who so knows? Uh, and this is very similar to the Batman story, right? The Justice League story where Batman... Oh, uh, Terror of Babel? Yeah, he, he also did this. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. yeah. This, this is what you do when you're a superhero. You find like ways X-Men to didn't banish Charles, he gets arrested. By the federal government for onslaughting. This is normal for people. I you don't do this on like Sunday night. Just think about how would I kill all my friends? <laughs> <laughs> just in case, you know. Uh, yeah, listen, it, you gotta be pre- gotta be prepared. That's <laughs> the message of confidence porn. But uh, so the the Wolverine one, yes, I very interesting. And of course, they went right to Wolverine. Yeah, <laughs> no, and it's funny how that's triggered too. Warren walks in and it's like, okay, Scott, Gene, Warren, kill Wolverine. <laughs> so I like this. It says, in this, I, I'm curious also to see if this is like, if this holds for all of X canon, but his head would have to be severed and removed idly from the vicinity of his body to prevent swift flesh and nerve regrowth. And that's it. Like, that's what Charles said. That was like, that's, that'll do it. 
the thing is, like, we don't know how long this base, this this room has been under Muir Island, but yeah. at some point, and there was a period where Charles was hanging around the island, but at some point, he updated the files. That's true. Because this reflects the fact that Wolverine doesn't have his uh, adamantium. That is very true, yeah. So it's like, because I don't think if he had adamantium, you can't cut his head off. You can't get through. Uh, no. So you've got a really small window of a couple of years <laughs> if you want to kill Wolverine when he has the bones. Yeah. So. <laughs> but I don't know if that's true or not because they did that the saber tooth, right? They cut his head off and he came back. I don't know, remember how he came back. But... Did did they? I I, I just I don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds yeah. like a thing you should do. To say Jeff Loeb, Jeff Loeb epic where he, he killed him and then I think Jeff Loeb came back later and brought him back. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was the Romulus thing. I think I don't know. Oh, uh, okay. That's why I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, he just blocked that. <laughs> I ain't reading that shit. <laughs> You gotta love yourself, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then you've got Jean here, a lot of tears. Like these tears are coming out strong. Uh, and she says, Every night when Charles went to study to work, dot, 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 he was thinking of ways to kill the X Men. I don't know if that's true, Jean. I don't know if it's every night. <laughs> some nights he was just going in the drawing some tears. It was most nights, let's be honest. <laughs> I'm an Xavier apologist. Oh god. And then and then later, once all the X-Men are in the room, apparently Sam Scott and Gene unlock the protocols for how to kill cable. Of course. Yeah. yeah. That was what you kill him with love or something. What was it? It was like a weird one. <laughs> should be made full use of his weakness, preferred results of his disease devouring his brain. Yeah, that one was I was like, I don't know about that one. I, I I tell you, like, I wasn't that impressed with Xavier's work here. Like, these are pretty half ass. Like <laughs> I would like to try some of these and see if they actually did the job because I don't think they would. Well, okay, so the thing that this got me thinking about is, you know, the protocols react to whoever's in the room, uh, theoretically all combinations of three because rule of three, why not? And tells them how to kill someone close to them. This is a great concept that because it's in a tie-in book just doesn't get much use outside of this comic. Mm -hmm. And so it had me thinking of some other we'll call them fun uh, Xavier protocol combinations. Mm -hmm. Some of them make sense and, and some of them are just hilarious. So you get Colossus, Kurt and Kitty, you get the codes to kill storm. Mm -hmm. uh, Cyclops, Polaris and Wolfsbane. Havoc. Mm -hmm. Hank, Warren and Bobby. You get the codes to kill Hank's dog Sassafras from the defenders. <laughs> I don't know why you would, though. That was a very good boy. Uh, <laughs> three Madrox dupes. Get the codes to kill Madrox Prime. Yeah, that was pretty good. Three of the separate cuckoos. Emma. Mm -hmm. uh, Mystique, Sabretooth, and Lady Mastermind, who were all X-Men at the same time during the Mike Carey run. The 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 program just says, no. <laughs> you don't you get to kill anybody. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Prodigy, Elixir, and Wind Dancer, <laughs> the Academy X kids. Yeah, it, just, it, just, it just says, who, who are you? <laughs> I was going to say it blows up a school bus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you, go. Out one. <laughs> you guys shouldn't have come in this room. <laughs> uh, Cannonball, Boom Boom, and Warpath are there because Cable has been compromised or maybe possessed by Strife again, but it just keeps telling them how to kill Feral. Uh, Madrox, Strong Guy, Wolfsbane, uh, Havoc again. 
<laughs> uh, Maggot, Marrow, and Cecilia Reyes, the reader. <laughs> this got loved out. And then if Mimic walks in by himself, he gets the codes to kill everyone. There you go. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Whew. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good concept. I don't know. I, I don't think, has anyone ever done anything else with this? I I cannot remember another story where they have. Doesn't mean it didn't happen. It, it feels like, it feels like a thing that could have come back in under Hickman. Yeah, I would feel like Cerebro when it came to life. That oh could have, yeah, like, see that was another danger. story. Like that's when I faded out of of X Men. Yeah. I can't tell you what that was. That was a search for Xavier or something. But like yeah, the danger. Like everything Charles built eventually. <laughs> Came sentience and tried to kill everybody. And you'd think that they would have access to the Xavier protocols. So, but I don't know if they ever did. Yeah. That's just, that's just writers forgetting. And again, because it's in like a tie-in book for one of the ancillary X titles. You know, how much, pe- how much do people remember it? Yeah. I, uh, and I'd also think Moira now remembers all those and could use them for Orcus. Yes. Yes. That would that that would be a good story. Thank you. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> why why am I not writing X Men? What's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> why am I not ahead of X? <laughs> One <What>? day soon. <laughs> <laughs> if only we had a way to ask uh, the X office questions. Yeah, once a week. <laughs> if only. <laughs> All, right. All right. So Kurt Kurt dispatches the Red King, and he moves into the next chamber to find Margali cradling Douglock's head. And again, I have no idea how he recognized that this woman is Margali, given she's in a different yeah, I skin didn't. or whatever. And she she's old here. She's just like withering her. It's, it's... Yeah, but she still looks like the version of her that is the Red Queen of the Hellfire Club. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, Meanwhile, Kitty's trying to hack into Doug, which she does by jamming a random spiky thing into one of his wires. Doesn't even look like a plug. Like that's not a USB. What what is what is happening here? Get in there. <laughs> Hack into the mainframe. <laughs> this is the nineties. You could do this kind of stuff with just jamming something to wire. But that's the thing though. Like she starts rooting around in what looks like his Windows Explorer folders until she finds the uh the most recent on the cartridge, Kitty. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> until she finds the most recent files and deletes them, which I, whatever, sure, the computers. Um, by date. Yeah. Uh, this doesn't solve Doug being plugged into the demon under London, so they devise a plan whereby Kurt teleports Rain and Amanda straight down so Rain can slash Doug's wires at the junction box that Sebastian Shaw gave the club. Uh, and then Amanda, who also could teleport but has been teleporting this entire issue and is supposedly worn out from doing that, uh, casts a spell to keep the demon locked up, which in turn makes Margali sort of wither into nothing and disappear. The art really goes downhill in the final pages. Yeah, well, it's a jam issue. It's three artists trying their best to make Deadline. Yeah, and they were uh, which, very, I mean, which, they were a day it? before Deadline on the end. It's like, all yeah. right. <laughs> I feel bad because, you know, it's the 100th issue. It's a big deal. They don't have their big artist. Casey Jones is there doing his best like he's been doing since issue 92. But then, you know, we got we to gotta bring in two other randos and not even like the other randos from the rando brigade that have been filling in and Excalibur issues like in the past few 
We could have got Larry Stroman. Yeah. We could have got more Larry Stroman. That's all I want. I'm surprised it was just the issue. I thought like it was big. It was oversized, and I was like, oh, I'm so used to like today they'll put backups or something, but just yeah. end. I was like, oh, this this one story. Yeah, and an onslaught update. <laughs> and that's like I gotta get that update. <laughs> um, but we've lost track of Pete. So he's been having one big Peter Griffin and the giant chicken fight across London with uh, Scratch, and it's basically a wizard battle. Because he's casting hot knives and, and Scratch is, is casting lightning, uh, you know, at each other across the city. But, like, if we're supposed to believe these two as sort of these evenly matched opposites, mm-hmm. I feel like they should have been given more directly oppositional powers. Mm-hmm. You know, fire and ice, fire and water, electricity and water. You know, like, like let's just go full, like, D&D Final Fantasy here. Mm-hmm. While we're also kind of going like John Woo a little bit. Yeah. Uh, also, I just thought it would be fun to point out that Scratch just looks like Mark Strong with a uh, black air sun. Again, face tattoo. Face tattoo. So hot in 1996. And when they do the MCU adaptation, that's what we're going to get for this one. Yeah. I, I, I did look up, I looked up Mark Strong's IMDb. He was only doing TV work at this point in his career. But uh, still, that's that's the guy. <laughs> Can we talk about uh, this Lockheed panel? Yes, I want to talk about this Lockheed panel. <laughs> I like you to do the voice too. I want you to do. How would you read this panel of him talking? I still ate you. Ate you. Ate, ate. you. <laughs> <laughs> Which I mean. Are we trying to say that Lockheed has a British accent and that's why he's leaving the H off the beginning of the word? So that's a good question. Yeah, I didn't think about that. Because Lockheed is an alien. He's not British. <laughs> he's in a British comic, okay? He's an Excalibur. I, I mean, what do you think of this yeah, look? Yeah, uh, yeah, but okay, this is a team that has Americans and Russians and, and, and Scots and... Yeah. Ro- Romani and only one person is British. I think. <laughs> what do you think of this look Pete's giving Lockheed? Though it looks like is this kind of like you know we are this this is the panel that forgives the entire stupid arc. Mm-hmm. So lock you know the scratch get uh, gets roasted and it's not Pete and Lockheed comes and reveals that it's him and he just it's this like. You know when the ma the, the kid in the commercial does something unexpected and sweet, and then the mom looks at him and is like, "I can't stay mad at you." Found him. That's the look on Pete's face. <laughs> so you think? Yeah. These, do you think part of it is like Pete realizes the way to Kitty's heart too? Is like he's got to make peace with this this little guy. Yes. Yeah. Even though this is a plot that I think gets dropped after this one. <laughs> Huh, what a weird plot. Yeah. <laughs> one of those X-Men subplots no one ever talks about from X-Men history. <laughs> the friendship between Pete and Lockheed. I mean, I I, I think we're in an era where people try not to talk about Warren Ellis as much as possible. Yeah. And, but, and this but, is a, some people a have podcast. <laughs> some people have podcasts dedicated to these issues. Yeah. Um <laughs> Uh, that's okay. Soon it's going to be a Ben Rob podcast, and I'm going to have to live with that. <laughs> when does when does Ben Rob take over? One oh four. 
Okay, so soon. How long yeah. is Warren on this book? How many? His last issue was one of three, but then he also did a three issue Pride and Wisdom miniseries. Right. That's so. That's after this. That wasn't before this. Uh yeah. Chrono- uh, I'm going by the complete Marvel reading order, so that miniseries takes place. Uh, I can't remember publication, but takes place after one of three. Okay. So I go to one of three, then I do Pride and Wisdom, and then I start the Ben Rob stuff. Yeah, I just read the Hellfire Club miniseries by Ben, and uh, it was a. Uh... It was uh, something. It was uh, <laughs> wasn't much to it, um, but I now know the secret history of the Hellfire Club. So good on me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, so yeah, Pete threatens to flush Lockheed down the toilet, and then uh, Excalibur emerges from Black Hair Black Air HQ to teams of police, military, and emergency services, not to arrest them for vigilante actions or being mutants, but to escort them to safety and thank them for a job well done. Uh, Pete arrives, post-fidal cigarette in hand. The to... smoke is crazy on that cigarette. Yeah, it really is. It was a cold day in London. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he says, you know, only mates from the Intel community, they did their bit. They leaked the info about Black Air and the London Hellfire Club. And so they're all going down. And uh, that's it. We did it. The good guys won. Um, and then we get another freeze frame moment with Pete where it's just like, this here, I've bloody earned it. Everybody laughs, freeze frame. Well, Nightcrawler's kind of like, are you for real? <laughs> Kitty's all about it, but Nightcrawler's like, I don't like this guy. <laughs> yeah, the, the art the art on this page is weird. I, I don't know which of the fill-in artists this is, but like, Kitty's got like a manga face. Yeah. Yeah, this is very generic 90s X-Men Marvel art. If you like pull out a random 50 cent comic from the 90s, like Marvel... Marvel exciting action. Number one. <laughs> like, it's what the art looks like. <laughs> Featuring War Machine. Yeah. <laughs> was So was Pete like, I mean, it looks like if I open this comic and I don't, this page only, I would say, yeah, he's the leader of the team. He's the main character. Do you get the sense that Pete was like the main focus of Warren's run? At, at points at the beginning and the end. So Dream Nails trilogy uh, which was 88 to 90 was about sort of cementing him as a main character mm-hmm. and, and exploring him and his background and what his deal is. Mm-hmm. This, this arc, the London Hellfire Club arc, I would say this is like the first issue where he really does get to take more of a, not, not leading in the sense of leading the team, but like taking up more page space again, because the, the, whole black hair london hellfire club thing you know pete is the entry into those plot points coming into the comic but because there's so many characters in this arc it's just he gets lost and the the lockheed thing doesn't do him any favors either mm-hmm. except for this one you know bit that pays off but this goes back to reminding you you know this is this is warren's poochie Yes. <laughs> you know, and, and in a way, I think it also like it's Pete getting a taste, uh, you know, the whole thing where he's like kind of slipping all the information to his friends, which he did last issue, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and then getting to take out Scratch. This is Pete getting a taste of doing cool spy shit his way as opposed to for Black Air. And through that lens, it's a taste of what we'll see much later when we get to Paul Cornell's wisdom stories. 
which are all about Pete sort of becoming a spy master in his own right and, and doing it his way and by his own code. Mm-hmm. You know, culminating in Captain Britain and MI-13 when he mobilizes all of Britain's forces to thwart a vampire invasion from the moon. I remember that. I remember that. I, uh, I'll be honest, I moved on to the Rob Liefeld interview, and he says, Chuck, <laughs> Dix, Chuck, Dix, Chuck Dixon is writing Captain America Heroes Reborn. Is that true? Did that happen? Or was that like an early thing that never happened? I'm honestly not sure. I don't remember that happening. I thought he wrote it, but maybe Jeff, maybe Jeff Loeb wrote it. Or like it was idea by Rob, drawn by Rob. But he says here, Chuck Dixon, he's one of the best action writers in comics. He's writing it taking my basic ter- story and turning it into something that's really cool. And, and then in oh, six months, when I drop out, somebody else will come in. Yeah. <laughs> and this interview ends with uh, the interviewer saying to Rob, tie it up, man. <laughs> and I'm wondering why I don't end my interviews like that. <laughs> I, I mean, theoretically, it should be button it up, you know, <laughs> referring to those button fly jeans that he wore. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, well, that was that was the issue. What are, that what was the issue. Uh, you know, we 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 we've got a little bit of something to do here at the end, but you know, any any sort of additional thoughts before we uh, move on? Uh, let me see here. Let me just do another. Let me read. Let me just reread it. Give me <laughs> a quick pass. <laughs> I'm trying to think here. Um, we got the Xavier Protocols. Um, I was interested in uh, Moira and Jean seem very close in this comic, and they're like hugging and I'm like Jean isn't close to Moira or seem to care nowadays in the Krakoa era and I was like that was just the thought I had I, I, I don't, I don't think anybody people stopped caring about Moira when she wore Banshee's skin <laughs> but I think about like was she close to the X-Men I guess yeah and do they they all know now that she's evil right yes yes okay. they don't talk enough about it They. Should. <laughs> I would be really bummed out <laughs> my friend turned into a robot it was trying to kill me but that's why i got those protocols so sometimes you got to compartmentalize that trauma and deal with it later yeah in the fall of x yeah um, exa- exactly exactly yeah my thoughts so uh it made me before this again uh listening to cerebro and how he talks about all those omnibuses and how he is he i think he's an omnibus salesman <laughs> <laughs> the podcast but uh talking about like when he goes to the whole history i'm like oh that's an area like i should revisit like uh i should buy that onslaught omnibus and i should read it but i will be honest reading this comic made me not want to ever do that because <laughs> i was like oh this is going to be in there and there's gonna be so much other crap in there that i will not make it an enjoyable experience because i did buy the 12 omnibus on a similar whim where i'm like everyone shits on this but let me revisit it because i do remember these as a child and like this was fun time and it was like no this is a chore i do not enjoy this at all so i feel like that would be the same experience so this doing this podcast made me not want to buy them on the bus. i am glad that i could provide that service for you <laughs> and and save you and your wallet and your bookshelves the the agony I feel like, yeah, so Connor's podcast, it's all about, like, getting people to buy omnibuses, and they're all like, you've inspired me to read Inferno. Your podcast is to get people to save money. <laughs> Just say no to Omnibuy. In this economy, Dan is doing his all in service. <laughs> Although, if they, if they ever did put out a Captain Britain and MI-13 omnibus. I would, I would show it would be that. that big, right? That's like a complete collection. Yeah, it's like 15, 15 issues in an annual. 
Yeah, that's probably yeah. reasonable. Already about forty. Yeah. All right. So those are my thoughts. Uh, yeah, I don't. I it doesn't make me want to revisit this era. Um, I will probably never look at these issues again. <laughs> but I enjoy that Pete. It is cool to see. You know, a character came up when we were younger is still getting play because there are characters that uh, people are fans of who will probably never come back and they don't, they are not as lucky and fortunate as you are with your boy Pete. So that's, that's a good, fun. that's a good. Yeah, so you should be, yeah. you should be effing grateful. I am. <laughs> guy's running around with lollipops. <laughs> if I knew how to contact Teeny Howard, I would write her a thank you letter. <laughs> what do you think? What do you think of that? I mean, uh, uh, the smoking thing, you know, we grew up in comics, everyone was smoking, and then they made that ban on smoking. Does that bother you now that he doesn't smoke anymore? Do you think it's good for the kids? What are your, what are your thoughts? I, I I do think it's good for the kids. You know, we don't necessarily, you know, I don't necessarily feel strongly that he needs to be a smoker. I think, I think the lollipop adds to the silliness of Pete because Pete is a silly character. Mm-hmm. You know, he... You know, especially currently, I think he thinks he's a John Constantine type, but he's not really, but he is good at spycraft. And that's, you know, so there is value to him. He's not just this person who's going to come and hit on your female lead and, and yeah. you know, make the fan community go, ah, oh, gross, get a job, stay away from her. Yeah. I mean, he was hitting on Betsy for a while. He was. He was. I was and I was and I was into that, but when I saw what they were actually doing, I'm like, oh, okay, no, that's good, that's better, go do that. I understand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll get the next one. <laughs> There's always other comics peeking show it on the female lead. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, I, I'm I'm with you too. I'm also anti the kids smoking. That's why I get that out there. Don't we do gotta, it. Got to take care of these kids out there. We got to. You do. You have to. Someone's got it. We, we're, we're killing our friends with our protocols, but we're keeping the kids. <laughs> but we're keeping them off the cigarettes and the vaping. This is what yes. this podcast is all about. <laughs> but that's so, why, that's, it. that's <laughs> it. So we will, we will wrap uh, as we do every month with a wisdom check, which is the first time I came up with a name for this segment of the show. But uh, this is kind of where we just go through some stats and superlatives. Uh, how many pages does wisdom appear in? 10. The most in a while, but fairly proportional for a double-sized issue. Best words of wisdom go to uh, his line to Lockheed. First chance I get, I'm flushing you down a toilet. Uh, as I said, I didn't find the wisdom Lockheed stuff nearly as funny as I did at 16, but this is still a cute moment. Uh, best insult goes to Brian for telling Mountjoy, again, don't bleed so loud, you're giving me a headache. Uh, this is this is Brian doing a Bruce Willis impression where he's just tired of this shit, but not too tired to kick your ass. Um, does Pete use his hot knives in this issue? Yes. Again, see earlier wizard battle thoughts. Does he smoke in this issue? Yes. Again, uh, in celebration of a victory, well earned. Uh, and the smoke was oddly darkly colored. Uh, fashion watch i don't have much to say here everybody's in their work clothes for the whole time so i don't have a good entry Uh, both casey jones and carlos pacheco have drawn some good casual wear when they get to so hopefully next issue is a quiet issue and we can get more pac-man shirts like in issue 99 that was such a good package uh letters about pete 
No letters about anyone. There was no sword strokes column. Uh, they had to make room for the onslaught update. And Rob Liefeld, who needed to tie it up. <laughs> tie it up, Rob. Tie it up, Rob. Uh, <laughs> meanwhile, in some of the other comics that came out that very same week, uh, let's see, X-Men 2099, number 35, the final issue of a series I only ever bought the first issue of. Uh, I, I will say uh, for the folks out there who want to uh, listen to about learn about the good bits of X-Men 2099, there was a very recent episode of Battle of the Atom where they dealt with uh, that. Mm-hmm. So go listen to that. Or read a Steve Orlando comic book. and you will or, see. or yes, or read Marauders, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of the X-Books that I'm not currently reading. Uh, X-Force 57, X-Force is charged with protecting Nate Gray from Onslaught and in turn gets their asses handed to them by Mr. Sinister. And in Venom the Hunger number one, Eddie Brock's symbiote comes down with a disease that can only be cured by eating human brains. Yep, there's an ad for that. Here's his brains for dinner, brains for lunch. <laughs> sure. I do like, yeah, I'm looking at this checklist here, and I like the X-Men 29 as his last issue ever. Is that like a selling point? <laughs> like you can buy this one and you're done, you're out. Or is it like you guys missed the boat? We're shutting it down. I, you know, th- th- that copy was probably written on the fly by an intern. <laughs> FF. That's what. That's what you got. It's over. No, it FF also, be... also ended that month too. So it was. A, yeah. It was they, they were phasing all that stuff out. Like the Ultimate Universe, though, it'll be back. It all comes back. <laughs> Don't worry, fans. <laughs> For some reason. Uh, it should also be noted in this issue that the uh, uh, bullpen Boltons congratulate Excalibur editor Suzanne Gafty on getting married. So oh, congratulations for a thing that happened 27 years ago, Suzanne. You know, I did see in this, there was a little uh, editor box and said Suzanne. And I was like, what do you think that is? And thank you. I'm glad you shared that with me. Also, the uh, the, the, the Weezer song. She uh, probably the basis for that. Oh, yeah. Had to be Suzanne, the comic center. <laughs> ah, as featured in the movie Mallrats. That's right. <laughs> it all, it's all connected. <laughs> it is. It is. Uh, and, and Weezer did famously put Kitty and Kurt in a uh, in a, in, in the garage. So that's true. Yeah. Uh, full circle. Full circle. Exactly. <laughs> Waiting there for me. Uh, ad watch. We'll go through the ads and the issues. So we had the Frighteners, which we talked about already. Uh, Spider-Man Premium 96 Eternal Evil trading cards were, which were just Spidey villains uh, Die Hard Trilogy for PC, PlayStation, and Sega Saturn uh, a bunch of those like sort of mail order comics ads, combos, once again Combo Man making his return Yep, he uh, was in uh, X-1092 Yep House of X House of, House of, yeah, House of X, right? Uh, yes, House of ninety two. Uh, yeah, House of Expen ninety two. House of ninety two by Steve Fox and uh, Salva Espen. Yep, yep. I love that series so much. Really good. It was really good. Uh, let's see here. Heroes were born, and then the A and W Rupier Spider Man cheap plastic mug giveaway. It is funny that I, I mentioned several of these ads. <laughs> they really, really, really struck a chord. What is this uh, picture on the opposite side? Fem five. That looks like something I probably would not enjoy. I can't. I can't tell. I. I. I just one of those like ads where you get a page of just like, oh, you can buy all these comics. Here's one of them. It, it looks it, like somebody the, uh, tried to make a bad girl uh, comic, yeah. and they're not good at drawing. But you know, the boobs are there. 
free plus 25 comics. I think this page is the beginning of Comicsgate. That's why I uncovered. <laughs> <laughs> it all started. <laughs> if only, if only all those people had just looked at the NW ad, it would be, <laughs> we could have averted this whole thing. <laughs> Uh, if only Combo Man could have stopped Cyber Frog. <laughs> and this costs two ninety five. Not bad. I wish. I wish that was that much. <laughs> much better than seven ninety nine for a thirty bench comic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, inflation's a bitch, Chris. This has been a fantastic time. Uh, final question: How can people follow you uh, online and support the things that you are doing? Um, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter, um, Chris A. Hassan, um, H-A-S-S-A-N, <laughs> uh, and that's on Twitter. However, Twitter handles are sold. I don't know. I don't know how that, how you describe them, but, uh, some yeah. of them are sold because you have to pay for the blue check mark. Yeah, I have not, I have not paid for my blue check mark yet because I get very little engagement. Here's the thing about my Twitter people is that uh, if I, if I talk about anything that's not X-Men, no one cares. So I've <laughs> what they do care about is what I mentioned, what's coming in X-Men Monday. And then uh, uh, they're let down when they say, could we expect this long running mystery to be solved? And then I don't reply. And then the next day they see no, because that question is not something no one will answer. Um, <laughs> There was a question in the last, so the last one had Zach Thompson, mm -hmm. share a story here, uh, talking about that Marrow story in X-Men Unlimited. On yeah. the, and uh, I got a question twice from the same person in two different forms, where it was basically asking, is there a chance that Marrow is Wolverine's daughter? And then the next question is like, is there a possibility that... <laughs> Wolverine's long lost daughter. So I'm like, well, I guess I'll ask this because I don't know if this is like a thing that fans care about or talk about a lot. I have um, never heard of this. Yeah. So I asked Zach Thompson. Uh, spoilers: He did not give an answer that would <laughs> solve this long running mystery for this one person. Uh, but he was like, uh, you know, I don't think that would be best for her character. Uh, he's like, but anything's possible. And uh, then I looked at some message boards after that were talking about the article and uh, one person, I think I saw this somewhere. They were like, they said, we still don't, didn't find out about her last name. And I was like, is again, I'm like, this is like the story of X-Men Monday with me where I like, I see this stuff and I'm like, I have no idea what the hell they're talking about. I don't know if this is the thing people care about, but apparently it is with these two people. And is it, is this the same person? Are Marrow fans wondering what is Marrow's last name? They Who probably cares? are because we don't know her last name. What was her name? Her name's Sarah, right? Her first name is Sarah, yeah. Okay, so because a character doesn't have a full name, does that mean they are automatically the daughter or son of like another character? I don't I don't have that logic. But that, that is yeah. some real uh Ray Palpatine shit right there. <laughs> yeah, and I hated that. So uh <laughs> Yeah, it's weird. It's very weird. But it's I'm, not, I'm like, okay, let, and I, it's annoying that I did think so much about this over the course of my week. But I was like, why would she be the daughter of Wolverine? Because there was that cover where they're fighting, also by Carlos Pacheco. Uh, but I guess that's the bones, right? He's got bone claws. She grows bones. But again, does that automatically mean? I feel like that's not a good way to live life. Where it's like, oh, you must be related to because <laughs> you both have bone powers. I mean, you could you could use that to say all the psychics are related, exactly. or all the teleporters, or yeah. all the you know, yeah, and that's terrifying. Globs, Herman, 
there may there may be a, a whole faction of, of X-Men fans who are like, these are all the children of Xavier because they all have psychic powers. So I don't know. That's a that's a, I don't is this my plug? <laughs> that's what I'm plugging. <laughs> yes, you've been plugging away. <laughs> <laughs> Wrap it up. What is it? Button it up, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> tie, tie. <laughs> tie it up. <laughs> so, anyways, you can uh if you want to see more great questions like that, you can read X-Men Monday every monday in apt comics uh we uh that is i do that with jordan d white the x-men editor and uh it's usually every now and then jordan will appear but it's mostly um uh, different writers and and creators and editors and artists in the x office so we recently did uh an article that made a lot of people very mad i think at me i did a uh, chat gpt that's part of my questions and then you were like you want to come on the show and i was like oh cool i have not been canceled so <laughs> <laughs> but that was a fun one i thought i thought um and then uh we are on 196 or 7 right about when this come when does this come out uh this will be out before the end of the month okay so we're around there and big 200 we're on the road to 200 the road to two yeah we're almost there so that's crazy to think about um and i guess since this is only exclusive to to patreon people i can just say that it's going to be uh uh, Jonathan Hickman takes over X Men Monday. He, I'm out. Hickman's in. <laughs> oh, he's really good at not answering questions. <laughs> he is now running it. Uh, <laughs> his first guest, I can't remember. It's either Bendis or Grant Morrison. I don't know, but he's got his Rolodex out. <laughs> Jordan's out. I'm out, and uh, Hickman's going to do it for uh, for I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. And uh, and yeah, and then um, I think. Barack Obama is going to be on it. I don't know. There's this is why you got to get this Patreon. <laughs> you get all Did this. Just become the April Fool's episode. <laughs> well, I do want to see now if uh, it, you like, you know, you're going to see VR boards casually and it's like, hey, so I listen to podcasts. <laughs> I know what Hickman's next project is, X Men Monday. <laughs> He's taking it over. He's getting into the lucrative field of comics journalism. <laughs> No, I, I kid everybody. I kid. Um, so that's it. That's my thing. You will not follow me because you did not enjoy any of that. Tie it up. Tie it up, Dad. All right. I will. Uh, thank you, Chris. So <laughs> next month is issue 101. I genuinely don't remember anything about what happens in issues 101 or 102 uh, before Ellis leaves. So this will be a fun jogging of the memory. Uh, see you then and until next time listeners tie it up Rob <laughs> tie it up Rob want more? subscribe at patreon.com slash wmqcomics